Welcome to Valley Community Church. Our Sunday sermons are available online to help you grow in your Christian faith. Our messages are practical and applicable truths from the Bible for today's life challenges. And now, today's message. To God's ultimate theocracy. Jesus. When God sent his son to deliver us, to set us free, it was the culmination of what he had been revealing throughout Scripture. He had been trying to teach the Israelites that he had been pointing to this whole time. From the very beginning, he was pointing to Jesus. He was, he was pointing to the Messiah, the one that was going to come. And for them to finally have that theocracy that God intended in his heart from the very beginning. For Christ to rule and to reign in our lives. For God to be in his rightful place. But Israel had a tough time with that. And we're going to be talking about, uh, we're going to be going through the second part to my sermon. Uh, talking about Gideon and um, his offspring, Abimelech. So we're going to be talking, getting to that. But before we do, let's pray over the word. Heavenly Father, Lord, we just thank you for this morning. Lord, I thank you for the opportunity to share your word. Lord, I just pray right now that the Spirit of God rise up on the inside of us. Lord, we know that your Spirit lives in us. Lord, start to well up inside of us rivers of living water that are going to spring forth. Lord, as we, as we uh, take it in this morning that during our week, we're going to be just gushing with rivers of living water. Lord, that come from your Spirit, that come from your word. Lord, so I just pray right now that you anoint us for this day and this time. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. You know, Pastor Michael in Fayetteville, um, I don't know if he coined the phrase or he just uses the phrase, but I kind of like it. The phrase is that we live in the tension between the already and the not yet. Jesus says that it is finished on the cross, but yet we still have not seen the fulfillment of everything in Scripture yet. And we still live in that place where there's struggle. So as I was, as I was uh, reading this, and so I know that I'm saved. I know that I'm going to heaven. I know that Jesus said it's finished, but there's still something there that has, has been unyielded to Christ, unyielded to God. And so as I was reading uh, this section of Scripture, I realized something. You know, over and over in Judges and in Kings, you heard this phrase. said, the sons of Israel did evil in the eyes of the Lord. All right, we learned about, a little bit about that. And I said, man, they just stepped in stupid all the time, didn't they? Seemed like this big cycle. They, they're constantly stepping in some stupid mess, worshiping Baals, worshiping idols. God tells them to do something, and then they don't do it. And I'm thinking, man, those guys are idiots. Then I realized something in, in doing this. I am Israel. Let that sink in for a second. I am Israel. Yeah, I don't worship Baals and I don't worship Ashroth. I don't worship those idols. But you know the idols that I do worship? The idols of self-interest. Because when my faith doesn't line up with my desire Sometimes my faith wins out, I'm just going to be quite honest with you, and sometimes my desire wins out. 
Sometimes I operate from God's interest, like we talked about last week with what Gideon did. But he didn't always, I mean, I just pointed that out last week. He didn't always operate out of God's interest. We're going to learn about that. But we don't always operate out of self-interest either. We're kind of in that middle ground sometimes, aren't we? And I just, that, that just hit me. I'm like, oh, man, I step in stupid as much as they did. I'm just as boneheaded as they are with one difference. I don't have to be stuck there. Because you realize that Jesus hadn't come yet. Jesus hadn't been revealed yet to the Israelites. But he has been revealed to us. So we're going to start, we're going to pick back up with our, our story of Gideon. And, you know, it's kind of interesting. We started in uh, chapter 6, where the angel of the Lord showed up. And we know that Gideon uh, eventually obeyed, didn't he? He was very reluctant. And if you guys had seen my sermon or heard my sermon about uh, tiptoers and, and jumpers, Gideon was definitely a tiptoer. I mean, he, would, he was like, okay, God, are you sure? Lord, are you sure that, this is, that I'm going to have victory here? He, was very, he operated at a very cautious place. And some theologians believe it was a lack of faith, and then some like, well, no, he was just really cautious. But either or, he didn't do what God said to do right off the bat. He said, Lord, give me a sign. First with the angel of the Lord, and it burned up the offering. And then when he says, go and, and conquer, he says, well, let me throw down this fleece. And he says, first night, let me throw down the fleece. And Lord, I want you to make the ground wet, but let the fleece remain dry as a sign that this is really what you want me to do. So Lord does it. And then Gideon says, well, Lord, if I found favor, now tonight I'm going to throw down the fleece and I want the fleece to be wet and the ground to be, or, yeah, the fleece to be wet and the ground to be dry. So the Lord's like, all right, all right. I mean, I'm thinking, man, why don't you just smack him, God? You know, if I'm about, as a dad, I'd be like, look, I told you once, son, I whip my children for not obeying after the first time. Like, you get one chance. But God was like, God showed compassion on Gideon, didn't he? He showed compassion on his lack of faith in, in his circumstance because God put him there. God knew what was going to be in his heart. God was like, you know what, I'm going to show, God showed compassion on me. Did he show compassion on you? Yeah? God's plan, part of his plan was to show us compassion through grace, through faith, through love, through peace, through all this stuff. God's compassion just pours out. And even in Gideon's disbelief or his cautiousness or his lack of faith or whatever you want to call it, God still anointed him for that time. So after all said and done, Gideon's like, all right, we're going to do this thing. But I think it's funny, not, so an angel of the Lord appears to him. He gets the fleece, and then it, it requires him going down into the camp of the Midianites, sitting around the fire and listening to them talk about how, that, how afraid they are of the army of Israel that Gideon, surely were going to be given into the hands of Gideon. So Gideon's sitting there listening to the, uh, the Midianites talk about how scared they were of him. And finally he goes, yes, finally. Gideon musters up the courage and the strength to say, all right, guys, come on, we're going to attack him. See, he was kind of a stinky little booger. He, 
He was. You, you read about him. He, he attacked at different times, very strategic. Like almost, in my mind, I'm thinking guerrilla warfare, you know. He, he didn't just line all of his men up in a straight line and go, okay. No, I mean, he only had 300. He wasn't going to impress them with his numbers. He just, well, he was really obedient is really what it comes down to. He was obedient to the Lord. The Lord said, do it this way, and Gideon said, okay. And Midian was delivered into his hands. And it was a mighty victory. And it was amazing. And so after, after God delivers the Midianites to the sons of Israel, what did the sons of Israel automatically want to do? Have you ever read it? Let's turn to uh, Judges chapter 8. Um, verse 22. It says, Then the men of Israel said to Gideon, Rule over us, both you and your sons, also your sons' sons, for you have delivered us into the hand, uh, from the hand of Midian. But Gideon said to them, I will not rule over you, nor shall my sons rule over you. The Lord shall rule over you. Yet Gideon said to them, Gideon got it right. What did he say? He said, you want me to be king? No, I'm not going to be king. The Lord is going to be your king. So Gideon got it right. Even though he had a lack of faith, even though he didn't operate in this courage that we all think that he should have, eventually he did. He gets it right. He says, no, I'm not going to be your king. Neither are my sons going to be your king. I want you to note that. My sons will not rule over you. Everybody mark that in your Bible. But then, oh, Gideon. Let's see what he does next. I would request of you that each of you give me an earring from his spoils. They said, we will surely give them. So they spread out a garment, and every one of them threw an earring from their, uh, from their spoils. The weight of the gold earring that, had, uh, that was requested was 1,700 shekels of gold. And then there were some crescents from the camels and such. So why is that important? Because Gideon took, you know what, the earrings? So the Midianites um, wore earrings. That was part of their culture. So they had these big earrings, these big hoop gold earrings that they wore. So as a spoil of war, they took those earrings, all the all the men of Israel took spoils. You know, in Iraq, we were able to take, even today, we were able to take spoils of war. Do you know that? We couldn't take parts of people or anything like that. <laughs> couldn't cut off their ears or anything like that, but we could take equipment. So I have, like, knives, and I have some weapons and different things that I brought back from Iraq that we were able to keep, spoils of war. That was kind of part of the deal. When you went out, you were able to take what you conquered. So Gideon says, I want an earring from each one of you. They say, cool. They pile them all up. Gideon melts them down. And what does he do? He makes an ephob. You guys know what an ephob is? It's this, a robe, right? It's a, it's a sleeveless robe that who wears? A priest. Is Gideon a priest? No, Gideon's not a priest. Can you all say stepping and stupid? Gideon's not a priest. But Gideon makes an ephob out of all the gold, and it's this breastplate. 
So the ephod, you put it on, and it has this big breastplate on it. And there's like 12 stones in the ephod, representing the 12 tribes of Israel. So Gideon didn't do it as a sign that he was a priest, really. He did it as a sign of civil authority, because who else had done that? Uh, who else did that that we know of later on? David. David did the same thing. But the difference was, David was uh, anointed to be king, right? Gideon was not. Gideon stepped into something that was not his place. And so, but he was a judge. So Gideon has a civil authority, uh, an anointing to rule over the, the children of Israel. So he makes this ephob out of the gold earrings, puts it in uh, the city, and everybody comes, and what do they start doing? What do they start doing? What do they, so I want you to remember, Israelites, the sons of Israel did what? Evil in the sight of the Lord. Their heart was always evil. They kept returning back to the same old thing. Every time that God would deliver them, they would eventually go back to doing what? Idol worship. Right? The sons of Israel did evil in the eyes of the Lord by harlotting themselves to the Baals. By worshiping false idols. By worshiping false gods. So Gideon makes this ephob out of the gold spoils, puts it in, what's, what's the city's name? I forgot. Is it in Ophrah? Yeah, so Gideon made into an ephob and placed it in the city of Ophrah, and all Israel played the harlot with it here, so that it came, became a snare to Gideon and his household. See, God delivered them, but their heart was never fixed. Our hearts never really get fixed until we make Jesus the king. We will always return back to idol worship of some kind, just like the Israelites, without Jesus being in his rightful place. So Gideon delivers them, but they become the harlot, and they start worshiping the very thing that Gideon made as a symbol of his civil authority. It became a snare to him. So time goes on. Gideon rules. There's peace in the land for 40 years. Gideon has lots of sons, 70 of them. That was a busy dude. <laughs> 70 sons? Guacamole. That doesn't even count all of his daughters. So Gideon decides to do the one thing that God said don't do. Don't marry into the pagan culture because what happens when you marry in the pagan culture you're a going to worship their gods god said don't fear the gods of the amorites so gideon goes and he begins to worship well not really worship their gods but he allowed it to exist see god didn't tell him to allow it to coexist he said kill them all possess the land but he still allowed some people to stay, didn't he? So Gideon there was disobedient. He didn't really follow what God had told him. 
So Gideon has 70 sons. God's favor is upon them. There's peace for 40 years in spite of the people's non-devout hearts, despite them turning the ephob into an idol, despite everything that was going on, God still allowed them to be at peace. But the problem with Gideon's disobedience here in the sin of polygamy is that um, it diminishes his legacy. And we're going to find that out here in a minute. And it sets the people up to become harlots of Baal. I mean, if you're a ruler and you know your people have a heart problem with worshiping idols, why would you make something and set it in the middle of the city for them to worship? That's kind of dumb, isn't it? He set them up for failure. And his peace is short-lived. So let's take a look. So now Gideon decides that he's going to go out and he's going to have a concubine in, from Shechem. So this lady in Shechem, did God tell him to have concubines with uh, foreigners? No. Told him explicitly not to do that. So Gideon goes and gets him a concubine, has a son named Abimelech. Abimelech's name means my father is king. Wait a minute, is Gideon king? Right from the get-go, man. You got the kid's name. Everybody's going, Abimelech. Every time he hears his name, he's saying, my father is king. Man, you're setting this dude up for failure. Abimelech. So he has this son. And let's pick up right here in 33. 833. It says, then it came about, as soon as Gideon was dead, the sons of Israel again played the harlots with the Baals and made... Baal birthed their gods. Thus the sons of Israel did not remember, everybody say remember, the Lord their God, who had delivered them from the hands of their, all their enemies on every side. Nor did they show kindness to the household of Jeroboam in, in, in accord with all the good that he had done to Israel. Uh, Jeroboam is just another name for Gideon. So when um, he cut down the Ashroth poles and the uh, turned everything over back a, a chapter ago. He did it at night, and the, the men of Israel came to his father's house, and they said, give us Gideon. He tore down our idols. Let us kill him. And his father said, well, let Baal contend with him. If your God's so powerful, why do you have to do it? Let Baal do it. So Jeroboam actually means, or Jeroboam, depends on how you pronounce it, means let Baal contend. So from that point on, he actually, uh, you will see his name interchangeable uh, in Scripture because it, did Baal ever show up? No, he didn't. So they turned to being harlots again. And Abimelech. Everybody say, and Abimelech. The son of Jeroboam went to Shechem to his mother's relatives. And spoke to them and to the whole clan of the household of his mother's father, saying, Speak now in the hearing of all the leaders of Shechem. Which is better for you, that 70 men, all the sons of Jerubbabel, rule over you, or that one man rule over you? Also remember that I am your bone and your flesh. Now hold on a second. What did Gideon say a little bit ago? I told you to remember. Neither... My sons or I will rule over you. They weren't going to rule over him anyway. So Abimelech 
uses that as leverage to do what? To make himself king. See, Abimelech is starting to operate from a place of self-interest. He goes to his mother's people. He says, look, I'm, I'm, I'm your bro, man. I'm your kinsman. Let me, let me rule over you. Isn't it better that just one person rule over you than 70 sons of Gideon to rule over you? Look, give me some money, acquit me, give me what I need, and I'll go take care of them, and you're not going to have to worry about the 70 sons of, of uh, Gideon. All you're going to have to do is worry about me. And they're all like, hey, that sounds like a pretty good idea. So they give him the money. Gideon hires, a bu- or excuse me, uh, Abimelech hires a bunch of mercenaries, and he goes and does the unthinkable. He kills all 70. I know your notes say 68. That was a mistake. I was thinking, well, if he had 70 sons, and <laughs> never mind. But the word says that all 70 of them were executed on one stone. He killed 70 of his brothers. Can you imagine? Why? Why would somebody kill 70 of their brothers? God of self-interest, right? This is the reality. Satan wants you to be king. Anybody but God. Satan wanted Abimelech to make himself king. Why? Because he knew it would destroy him. And he knew, he knew in his mind, in Satan's mind, that it would derail the sons of Israel. That it would bring them back to that place of being the harlot. See, Satan tried to be God once, didn't he? That didn't work out so well for him, did it? No, he got kicked out of heaven, and a third of the angels fell with him. So he knows that he can't be king. All he has to do, though, is convince you to be king. Hey, don't, you know, just, hey, look, you need to go over here, and you need to do this. And, hey, look, promote yourself. Don't worry about God. Look, you got to help yourself. God helps those that help themselves. That's not in the Bible. It's a lie. God promotes those that are faithful and obedient. Amen? Satan wants you to be king over your own life. So Abimelech, he uses his familial connection to elevate himself. He becomes king. He kills his brothers. And check this out. Gideon ruled for 40 years. How long did Abimelech rule? Three. You know what happened? So Abimelech, he, uh, he was self-serving. He placed his, his own interest above everybody else's, didn't he? Especially his 70 brothers. He was placing himself above them. So he solidified his rule, his power, his authority through murder and treachery. He promoted himself. He's like, look, you got, he went to this family. He says, promote me. He was kind of promoting himself. And then the last thing I have there is uh, Abimelech was self-aggrandizing. So it's, it's kind of interesting how Abimelech comes to his end. He only rules for three years. So in this time that he's, he becomes king after he kills his brothers, 
So he goes and he makes war with all the people around him. And he is brutal. He goes to one city. He kills them all. They're, they're locked up in a strong tower in the middle. Women, children, all the people that were, you know, that they were trying to protect are in a tower. They won't come out. So what does he do? He burns it down. Burns all the women and children alive. Brutal guy. So it works for him once. So he decides to do it again. He comes to another city. They destroy the city. They take it. They're in the middle of the city in the strong tower. And Abimelech comes up to the wall all proud. Look at me. He comes up and he says, come out. And there's a woman. I love this. There's a woman at the top that has a millstone. And she's like, I don't think so. And she drops a millstone on his head. So he thought he was all that on his horse riding up to the, or camel or whatever he was riding. I don't know what he was riding. He was coming up to the edge of the wall going, come out or I'll burn it down. It's kind of like the three little pigs, right? You know? <laughs> and she's like, I don't think so. Mm. And she splits his skull. And he knows that he's dying from a head wound. So he tells his armor bearer, run me through with your sword so it'll never be said that Abimelech was killed by a woman. about pride man he <laughs> to his dying breath he's like no can't be said that i got killed by a woman three years of battle and killing folks thousands of them and he gets killed by a, a millstone thrown from a tower i thought that was kind of funny i was like golly the arrogance so abimelech dies a very in that time, if you were killed by a woman, man, that, it, you, were, you were a joke, right? So, but, you know, it's funny. Later on, you'll see <clears throat> when, um, I, I can't remember who it was, but he's talking to David, and he says, like, don't get too close to the battlefield. Do you not remember Abimelech? So it went on. <laughs> his plan of having his, uh, his armor bearer kill him didn't work because everyone remembered that he was killed by a woman. So, uh, excuse me, Abimelech dies, an early death, killed by a woman. He uh, dies because he didn't know who he was. See, Gideon, if you remember from last week, was created. He was called, and he was sent by God to do something, right? Abimelech was none of those things. He was not created to be king. He was not called to be king, and he was not sent to be king. What did God want from the very beginning? For him to be king, for a theocracy, for God to rule in your life, to have that type of relationship and responsiveness to the, the calling of God. See, when we operate out of self-interest, I, I promise, I'm gonna, I'm, man, I was, can you print those off real quick by the end of the service? In my desk drawer, I'm sorry, in my desk drawer, there's a file that says I am. I forgot to print them off. I'm going to invite you into my office for a moment. When anybody comes in for counseling with me, I start, I start here. Of who, there's, a, there's a worksheet that I have that says who I am. Because if we don't know who we are, 
we're going to make some pretty big mistakes. Abimelech didn't know who he was. His name meant my father is king. That set him up for a fall right off the bat, right? So he started operating as a king. He operated out of self-interest because he thought he was going to be king. Hence his name. But you see, most every single one of us, I can trace back uh, the major decisions in your life, almost every major decision in your life, back to one of three things. Acceptance, security, and significance. So why do we do the things that we do? Why did Abimelech want to promote himself to be king? Well, there was something missing in his self-identity. There was something missing in, in how he perceived himself. So he was either, and, and for men, for men we do most things out of significance and acceptance. Women, I'm just saying you know, statistically here, women usually do things out of security and acceptance. Because God has wired man to, be, to do something great, to, to make their mark in the world, to conquer. I mean, there's something in guys that just goes, I want to do something. I want to make my mark in the world. Yes, my last name is Taylor. Tim the Toolman Taylor. You guys get the reference. Ugh. There's something hardwired in us to be significant. If a man doesn't feel like he's significant, even if he's... Even if it's not significance within his own family or with his wife, hey, look, all, you ever heard this? All I need is my wife, my kids, and my dogs. I'm good. Because we can find our significance in our family, right? We can find our significance in what we do. So if you ask a man, what do you do? He's going to say, oh, well, I work at the railroad, and I, you know. What we do has significance of, in, uh, of our identity. You ask a woman what she does, and it, it might vary. Why? I'm a caregiver, I'm a housewife, I'm a mother, I'm a... But typically when you ask a man what he does, it's always his job. That's the first, that's the first thing that he says. Because we derive our significance from that. Then we derive our significance from our spouse, and then we derive our significance from our kids. Our acceptance tied in there. But what does every, whatever, what does every young girl want? You ever think about that? What does every young girl want? More than anything else, she wants to be loved by her daddy, right? Every little girl wants to be loved by her daddy, and she wants to meet her Prince Charming, right? So what motivates a young lady to make the decisions that she wants? Now, I'm not saying that this is absolute, guys. Everybody's different, but for the most part, she wants to meet that, that guy. She wants to be loved. She wants to be accepted. And she wants to be secure. Kim's like, <laughs> poor Kim. Because <laughs> I could care less about security. I mean, I used to jump out of airplanes for a living, okay? I could care less about security. And I'm like, oh, I'm going to quit my job, and I'm going to move to Weldon, North Carolina. Look, we moved here. We, I didn't even have a job. Like, I know God's called me there. I know that's where I'm supposed to be. I showed up. Pastor Dave's like, great, man. I ain't got a job for you. I'm like, cool. I'm coming anyway. I rented a house in Weldon. Didn't even have a job. Security? Who needs security? She's like, uh, bro, we got three kids. 
and one on the way. She was like seven months pregnant. Remember that? How'd you like to be married to me? Baby, we're going. Come on. She's like, you crazy as heck. You're going to take me to Weldon, North Carolina. You don't have a job. You're going to rent a house that you can't pay for. But you know what? I had a job in two weeks. I had put out applications everywhere. And the only, the only person that called me back was Roanoke Rapids Graded School District. We got a job for you. We got this alternative school over here. We need a teacher. <laughs> you got a black belt. And you, you worked in inner city, did gang intervention. Yeah, we got a job for you. See, because I start there because if you don't derive your significance, your acceptance, and your security from Christ, you're always going to be empty on the inside. If we truly derived all three measures of ourself from Christ, we would no longer act like slaves. We would realize our true identity. See, Abimelech was not created, called, or sent to be king but we are. And not in the sense that, uh, that we're going to rule over people, but in the sense that we're co-heirs with Christ. We're seated at the right hand of God in Christ Jesus. You are the apple of his eye. You are his child. And if you do not know that, I can't help you. If you don't know who you are in Christ Jesus, then we've got another issue. We've got to go back further. Because there's a stronghold, there's a wound, there's something that has taken place. There is something that has taken place that's broken that we have to fix first. Because we have to derive our identity from Christ Jesus. Because you know what? Everybody say this. It is no longer I that live, but it is Christ within me. See, the reality is you're dead. And if we are constantly seeking our acceptance, security, and significance from people, places, or things, we are left feeling weak, hopeless, and helpless never able to fill that void. But you know what? God's truth transcends. Who God says you are transcends all that stuff. And when we can get to that point where we derive our identity in Christ, in Christ alone, then we can start overcoming our past, no matter what it is. We can overcome the, the wine press experience that Gideon had we can overcome I'm gonna go deep here guys we can overcome abuse we can overcome rape we can overcome loss of a child we can overcome all the things that the enemy could send our way when we derive our significance acceptance and security in Christ There's nothing that can stop you. For Gideon, it was, O valiant warrior. God spoke words of courage and strength. He says, my power is in you. 
go in this your strength? Did I not send you the assurance of God himself sent Gideon? But we have to get there. We have the same assurance. We have even a greater assurance in Christ. It says, for we are his workmanship, created. Everybody say, created. In Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we could walk in them. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and to godliness through the knowledge of him who called us. Everybody say called. To his own glory and excellence. Christ himself has sent us. Matthew 28 says, all power and authority is given unto me. So therefore, go. Everybody say go. So you have been created. You have been called. And you have been commanded to go. So you've been sent. To go and preach the gospel, to die, to lay it all down, that nothing else matters, to embrace the fact that your significance does not come from your job, it does not come from your spouse, it does not come from your kids, it does not come from anything you say or anything that you do. Your significance, the sole significance, is the fact that you bear the name of Jesus Christ. You've got a stamp on your forehead. It is in his name alone that we derive our significance, acceptance, and security. Do you struggle with that? I understand. I struggle with that. I've been a minister of the gospel a long time. I still struggle with that. But I remember. That's the key. You know, I've got a few minutes. This guy came to me not too long ago, and he said, yeah, I visited your church. I'm like, oh, that's awesome, great. He said, yeah, I stayed for two songs, and I left. I'm like, what? What do you mean, man? He's like, yeah, I didn't like the words you were singing. I'm like, huh? So he goes on to tell me all the things that he thinks, <laughs> how he thinks church should be run, and how he thinks that, Everything should look and act and smell and all this different stuff. And he said, I'll, you, you focus on the past too much. Yeah, I know we're, we were sinners. And so I was like, dude, you listened to two songs. <laughs> and he left. Well, words mean something. Well, yeah, but Paul says don't argue about words. <laughs> but yeah, pagans will argue about words. Did you... Focus on the past. Got to live in the future. Christ has done so much for us. I'm like, yeah, but if you don't remember what God has done for you, how can you have hope for the future? I want you to think for a second. If we have no, if we have no remembrance of what God has done for us and what God has brought us through, then how can we know what God is going to bring us to? Right? That doesn't make any sense. God sent a prophet to the sons of Israel to do what? To remind them what he had done. Jesus, when he said uh, in the Last Supper, he took the bread, he said, as often as you do this, remember. See, yeah, I am a sinner saved by grace. And I am a child of God. I'm seated at the right hand. I'm sitting down with the Father next to Jesus in Christ right now. 
And there's just a little bit of the old man left on the outskirts. I know that my God has uh, made my spirit alive, my soul is redeemed, but there's just this little shadow, this shadow of my old self that still remains that when I focus on it, it gives me problems sometimes. I know all that. But remembering where God has brought me from and what he's taken me to allows me to operate from a place of gratitude. See, Charles Spurgeon said that God is the giver of grace. We are the receiver of grace. So now we respond out of gratitude. Gratitude. We remember. How can you have gratitude without remembering? We listen. When we remember, when we listen to his words telling us who we really are, when we obey his commands demonstrating our love for him, when we keep the Father's interest first, there is no fear. Only confidence, courage, and peace. Christ in his rightful place, his king, he's the priest, he's the prophet. Jesus Christ is the capstone to God's ultimate plan for his theocracy. Jesus Christ is it. There's nothing else. He sealed it. It's a done deal. And all we have to do is remember and begin to walk in it. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body. Be thankful. Amen.